well, let's just get, we'll get it rocking. So anyway, um, my show, welcome everyone. This is Jack Brody and we're living at the 45 and I really couldn't be happier than I am today talking to an old friend, um, you know, a super blast from the past, Greg Patton, uh, an extraordinary coach, uh, well loved by his players. And we actually bumped into one another uh, at a gala event for uh, Colorado tennis last week. And, um, and I'm just, please, please say hi to everyone, Greg. I just couldn't be happier. Hey, all my people, the te my yeah. tennis, our tennis family. Don't worry, Luke Clancy, they'll all see this. I, I, and that was a hell of a night, by the way. Um, seeing you again was really great. And, and those guys are great. You know, I, I gave them a couple of lessons when they came to San Diego when they were like 14 and 16 or something, when they were yeah. playing Steve Foreman and, and Eric Riley and some of the guys I worked with. But um, they got a nice honor at that uh, at that Colorado tennis uh, thing. And and but I, I thought your honor was just as great. You must have been just, you know, so happy and so tickled uh, that night because they really they really honored you quite Thank a bit. You. No, I was I was pretty stunned because they were so gracious. Uh, they, they're pretty. Um, special they're they're they light it up and i was so fortunate to be able to coach them uh on the national team and i was i took a four-year hiatus from college coaching i worked with usta as a full-time national coach and uh you, you know and the the shields brothers were an anomaly they were from grand junction colorado their dad was driving around in a van all over the country to take them to tournaments they were great athletes they were self-made you know they read they learned how to play tennis out of like tennis magazines and uh you know they were just salt of the earth they were kind of like you know one of those westerns the guy comes off the ranch you know and gets to the big city and how they survive and they have hearts of gold and so i was thrilled it was so great the week before we inducted luke into our uh, boise state hall of fame then oh. the guy flew out to um you know, to, to Denver, because I see them honored in the Colorado Tennis Association. So well-deserved. They're, they're incredible. They're incredible players. They took Boise State to the top 10 in the country. I think we were number two in the nation at one time with when Luke and Clancy were on the team. And, uh, and really, you know, to see them now, they're both coaching, you know, uh, Clancy is head coach at Arizona and he's taken them into the top 10 for the first time in the history of the Pac-10 that you know, they've had Arizona at that level and winning the Pac-10. And and Luke has just gotten rehired uh, to take over mild position at uh, Boise State. I retired four years ago, but uh, Luke got hired just around six months ago. And uh, it's been joyous. It's been joyous to see. They're like my son. So, yeah, I, I was thinking of changing my name to Shields but when I was recruiting. But I, once they came, I didn't have to do that. Then when they played for me, I was saying, you know, I think your middle name should be, you know, Clancy Patton Shields. <laughs> Clancy Patton Shields. No, no, no. Their dad didn't like that anyway. But what's I remember their dad. Their dad was a pretty tough guy. He he is definitely unique, and and he's got a heart of gold. And uh, but he's tough. I mean, there's no. He's tough. He was at the lesson. He came to the foreman's house. Yeah. Uh, where I gave him a few hours of lessons, and he was a. Uh, you know, he looked at me with the swivels and everything, and you know, he had to assess me pretty much. Uh, 
Anyways. I think I still had long hair when I was teaching Steven. So, uh, you know, he had to go, what the hell is going on? But at least I had a couple of good players in my stable. So he, you know, that's why he actually sought me out because I think it was because of either Foreman or Eric Riley or both. Maybe it was yeah. both. Yeah. But yeah, no, he, th I think he thought I was nuts at first, but, um, and I don't remember the boys that well. Cause you know, I was coaching, so I was trying to give them information, but then I got to meet him at the dinner. Yeah. Really nice guys, sweet guys. In fact, I'm going to probably do a chat with uh, Clancy and Luke as well. You said they're going to be yeah. the future of tennis in a sense, you know, college tennis. Uh, they really bought into, and this is one thing I was so fortunate to be able to recruit them. They really bought into this team concept, this idea of playing for each other and, and using that synergy, the synergy that is created with a team to develop such a positive energy. You know, I mean, synergy creates energy and passion, and that ultimately creates energy, success. So I call it synergy creates winners. Uh, synergy. Yeah, I, I dig it. Which results in energy. Is that in your Bible? One of one of the one of the books of Greg, Saint <laughs> <Saint> Greg. <laughs> It's, it's one of the things I like, I like coming up with sayings and stuff because it resonates in the players that, you know, that I coach is, you know, if you, you say things and uh, you have a make up sayings and stuff that it's, uh, you know, and I don't know where they come from. And if you ask me to repeat some, I go, you know, I just have to be in the moment. All of a sudden they come. That's one of the, uh, that's one of them. I, I, I believe, uh, you know, I believe passionately in passion. But people think passion is something that you just create and, you know, you get excited and this and that. And it's not right. That's not true. It is passion comes ultimately the foundation of passion is purpose. It's the goal. It's the plan. It's the purpose. We all have to have purpose in our life. You and I both love tennis. And, it, you know, as we were talking earlier, for our whole life, since we were in our early 20s. Our purpose of who we are and how we can make a change in life was tennis. So our purpose was to get as educated, to get as gifted as we could, as a talented. And I think, you know, I was just an average tennis player with blind in one or an eye. And so I never, but I had dreams that were never going to be stifled by the fact I didn't have a, you know, I didn't, you know, have the vision. I didn't have great talent, but I had a love to be as great as I could be in tennis. And so that kind of, that ultimately went into coaching. And I started coaching, as I was telling you, I, I used to teach tennis at UC Santa Barbara when I was on the team. I used to teach in the PE classes. I taught for the city of Santa Barbara. And, you know, I was on the team and I was more, I wasn't, not a top player by any means, but um, the coach loved me and he, he took care of me in terms of getting me a job. And and I just picked up, you know, the team dynamics. So my purpose that I, I basically gave my life to tennis, you know, that's what I loved. I loved the rhythm and the beat and the music of the game. And I loved the camaraderie of the game. And I love the fact that I was always moving and it was, it was like a dance. And that created, uh, that created my passion, the excitement and the, the, the beautiful sacrifice that you give to the game. And then what happens is this. So this is just at the end of the story. It's just the beginning. That creates magical behavior, okay? And the magical behavior, for example, in coaching, this is what the Shields brothers has. The magical behavior uh, is 
you know, you become empowered, you know, you become confident and you, you're able to go out there and take risks. And that ultimately becomes miraculous events. Okay. So magical behavior. So I was empowered. You know, I started coaching the guys around my team at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, and how do you do that? And it was tough, but you, you get put in that situation and you just become, it gives you, um, a foundation and it gives you uh the power and it gives you the confidence to uh, impact other people's lives through the tool of tennis and the miraculous events turns out to be some of the wins and all of a sudden you know they they, they buy into this whole formless whole lifestyle this whole belief this whole being and also they buy into it and that they're playing for each other and they buy and they get more purpose. They get more passion. And that's what happened at Irvine with me. I had guys that bought into this crazy young guy. I was 25 by the time I went to UC Irvine, 25, 26. And I was just, just a few years older than them. And they bought into this, this ultimate abandonment, beautiful abandonment to the game, to live a lifestyle that was conducive to a team energy and to a, a commitment to getting better and commitment to be um, kind to each other and to build each other up. A lot and, of love. What? A lot of love. A lot of love. Oh, yeah. I mean, because love. A lot love. of love. I mean, I would do more things to win a match with Billy, right, yeah. my doubles partner, than I would have done on my own. I mean, yeah. I love Billy, and I wanted, to, I wanted to win. You know, I mean, he would look at me, and he would literally say things like, I think it was actually at All Cal. We met, you know, I think I saw you there two years. One year you were with Santa Barbara. The next year, I think you were with Irvine. But we were always at that All Cal tournament, which was friggin' blast. Yes. That was the most fun tournament. But, yeah, I would say love is what comes up for me because it was like, I remember Billy turning around. It was, um, maybe it was NCAAs. I can't remember. But he says to me, you know, it's like our ad and it's, it's big point. He goes, dude, you fucking make this return of serve. I will love you forever. I mean, he would say stuff like that to me. And then when I would play with Alex Levy down in San Diego, yeah. he, he would just look at me, come on, man, we've got this, we got this, you know, and doubles was, was really, um, that was the biggest team aspect for me because until then I had always been, you know, a junior player playing singles. It was all about singles and it was all about, you know, winning. And if you weren't one of the best players, you just did the best you could, but in doubles, there was more love. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? And, and you know, the funny thing about tennis and I do know what you mean. You're absolutely right on is it's an individual sport, right? But we create a community to lift each other up because you need your opponents, the guys, you know, you need them to train with. Right. And, and so the, the, the great thing about college tennis is all of a sudden you're playing, you truly are playing for each other. You're serving each other. And, and that is a great, a great, great feeling. And this leads me into um, the sense of service is really important, you know, and a good coach gets players to get that to serve the coach and as the coach is serving them each other. So it's, it, it's it's a giving from both sides. I used to always ask the players why they play. 
And I wanted to get them to say, you know, on my teams, I go, guys, why do you play? And each guy had to give me an answer. Some guys say, well, it's a great way to meet girls. It's a good way. You know, my parents want me to do it. It's a great way to get a scholarship. Obviously, I was looking for them to say they love it. But one time when I was working for the national team, the Junior Davis Cup team back in the 80s, someone in a meeting, and I, there's a disagreement with several of the former coaches like uh, Brad Stein and and Hugh Brame and Mike Edlis were my coaching staff, like who that guy was. But it doesn't really matter who it was. But one of the guys in this said, I play for the feeling. Um, I love the feeling. And I went, oh, my God. That's the reason I love the coach. I love the feeling. So we asked the coaches, what's the greatest feeling? And, and so, Jack, what do you think one of the greatest feelings is? Uh, for me personally, you're asking, I, I would say, and, and my mind's going a, a mile an hour now. Uh, for me, the greatest feeling is a feeling of hitting a good ball, yeah. uh, of playing tennis like a bird flies or a fish swims. You know, that's, and that, and that's sort of what I want to dispute with you on in a minute, because I was always, uh, you knew me from very young. You knew me when I played and kind of like Dick Gould knew me when I was very young. And we talked about this, um, some guys just had more talent, period. You know that. And um, Billy and I were not those guys. We would grind and we would pull off big wins, uh, miraculous wins. But then when we played Luke Jensen and his partner, they crushed us like bugs. Uh, when we played Sampras and his partner, crushed us like bugs. And, you know, my dad used to say something. Uh, he used to say, there's no substitute for talent. And I had all the, you know me, I had a lot of heart. Billy and I together, we had a monstrous heart, like yeah. the Grinch, you know, it grew yeah. four times that day. Yeah. Um, but I always had a problem with the fact that some people were just clearly better. Yeah. They were whippier, they were looser. They looked like they played with no fear. I always played with a little fear, yeah. you know. Uh, I would chip when I should have just hit out on the backhand, but I wanted to make sure that ball went in. And I always admired the people that would hit out on shots when they had the opportunity and make a blazing shot because they had the form. So for me now, it's changed a lot. I guess if you asked me that a long time ago, I would have said, I just love the game. I love playing it. I love hitting the ball. Now, as an older person, um, I, I like the... Um, I like the form. I'm really into form now. So I play tennis for a whole different reason than I did when I was young. I play because it feels good. And I, I play because I, I feel like I finally look like I'm born to play. Um, where, uh, you know, so that, that's one thing I've always had issues with. And I think a lot of people do, Greg. And I don't know how you deal with that because you coached Santa Barbara and Irvine, but then you coached Boise where you had even better players. And, and, I mean, what do you do when you have a guy like Billy or myself who love the game and want to win so bad it it hurts, uh, but just don't have the heavy ball that a Sam Query hits right. or the feel that a John Paley or Tony Graham has, right. you know, you know, there's just no comparing it's apples and oranges. What do you say about that? Because that's something that's really as a tennis lover and spent, I've devoted my life to it as well. You know, and so now when I coach, I coach pure form. I let guys like Foreman or Riley or Bijan or whoever I'm coaching, um, Sam, Stevie, uh, you know, they have their natural, everyone wants to win. So I'm just like, okay, if we can make your form better and better and better, 
that gives you the uh, availability of being able to do bigger things. What, what do you say to that? Because that's that's an that's, issue for me. And I, I think about this a lot, and it comes right back to the question I asked you. Why do you, you know when most people answer is the greatest feeling is win. And what you're saying, you're going to the same place where I went. As I said, the greatest feeling isn't the win. The greatest feeling, first of all, most importantly, is to play. Because what you do and I do, and when we get players out there, is they find the joy in playing by being a participant and not a spectator. Most people in the world are spectators. Most people watch other things. They're fearful. And what they do is like, you're a player and the greatest feeling is to play, all right? That's the reason we keep going back to it. The second greatest feeling, and this is it, uh, is to serve others. So when you're playing and you're playing with Billy or, you know, you're playing with your teammates at UC San Diego or, you know, it, it's a great feeling to look to the sidelines and go, yes, you know, yeah. love the feeling. And that's a great feeling. The third great, the third, I feel the third greatest feeling is to do it well. And this is what you're talking about. It's like when you hit yeah. the ball. And I've shifted the order. I've shifted the order because now the third is the first for me because God knows I won so many ugly. I mean, I could win. I could have written the book, Win Ugly, Winning Ugly, because I won a lot of ugly matches and I'm not proud of those matches, but, you know, because the score isn't everything. Yeah. So, yeah, I've taken your third one, and I think I've brought that up to number one. But, you know, and also sometimes the feeling is is solving the problem. Like you're playing and you're not playing well, but you are emotionally, spiritually, and, you know, mentally and physically invested, invested. And so what happens is you kind of somehow, some way that miraculous, your spirit, you know, is able to get you through when your body's starting to get tight or whatever, you know what I mean? But it, it's like you're, you're starting or you're, you're, you're fighting fatigue or whatever that may be. So those are the things that I think that, that we have to tap into as coaches is to let people understand that. Why do you play? You know, now this, the thing that most people most people say, and even coaches, this is one thing, once I got away from it, I think I empowered my team, is a lot of people would say, why, you know, what's the greatest feeling when you play tennis? And then people say to win. And you, had, you alluded to it for a split second earlier when you were talking, is winning. But winning isn't the best feeling, okay? Because if you basically base your, your opinion and your, your, your actions on just an outcome that really in lots of ways we have control over, but we don't have control over it. I mean, the guy hits off the frame and the ball goes on the court on a break point, and all of a sudden you start lamenting it. Things happen. The whole, the beauty, the beauty of the game is to play. And the, and the feeling, the greatest feeling is to play. Like I said, to serve others, to, to do it well. When you do it well, even if you lose, but you played well and you played as best as you could, You've got to take that, and I think Fed does this. You've got to take that, like I've played well, and you don't lament, and you don't suffer. You just go, okay, you know, I'm just going to, what it may be is I, I, I've learned something from it, learned how to be relaxed or whatever it may be, and I go on, and I go back out on the court. You know what I mean? I go back out on the court. And then the last feeling is, and this is, so I don't want to, I don't want you to get or anybody to get the idea that winning isn't important. 
because you need to have that goal and that radiance and illumination. Like I'm doing this to be the best I can possibly be. And winning a lot of times affirms that whole journey, right? It's like when you win, it's like, ah, oh, finally. And it, that really is a motivator to keep you going back. But it's not the main. It's just part of the engine and the fuel and the ignition and the starter that makes this vehicle move on in the game. So, you know, and you and I are older and we, we've been around in this game since our youth and it's been a fabric of our, our, you know, and that's, you know, you keep learning and learning. When I was a young coach, you know, the, the reason we played was to win, to win championships. I wanted to win championships. And, but I also had, I also had, uh, uh, you know, I went through, uh, you know, my life, I, I had, uh, I lost my father when I was 18. I was shot in the head with a BB gun when I was 13. My mom taught me to play tennis. She taught me to play tennis just so I could not feel like I was a geek because I couldn't see. I couldn't catch a ball. I couldn't hit a baseball. My dad was a baseball player in college. and was a sports writer. So if you look, you know, uh, but it was in great order. It turned out my mom turned out to be, she taught me. And then she got so good she got into it she played you know events was one of the best players and she in santa barbara which was a great tennis town that's a great tennis place yep she went on to be she went and taught tennis for the city of santa barbara she got a job then she taught tennis at uc santa barbara and then she was a tennis coach at santa barbara city college so oh, it changed yeah. and she got into it because here's her oldest son out of seven now as it turns out through life I lost my father when he was when I was 18 and my mother, my youngest sister, I taught tennis to was three months when my father passed because I'm the oldest of seven. And so I taught my sisters to play, you know, one sister is still played at UC Irvine and she is now teaching pro in Virginia and has been a coach ever since. My other brothers went on different things. I had a sister that's mentally handicapped, but it was, it was, it was kind of, it was a funny thing is that tennis gave me joy. Okay. You see what I'm saying? And it was, mm -hmm. I was able, it gave me an affirmed, you know, a joy in me, a childlike sense of play, which I think a childlike sense of play is like a fountain of youth. Okay. And it keeps us young. You know, I'm, I'm 70 and I, I lift every day. I run every day and I'm trying to, especially since I retired from college coaching, I teach a lot still and I coach a high school because I kind of, you know. I saw that. Yeah, I coach a high school team and I'm having a blast. And, and I play every day, you know. So you can't get it out of your system. I think that the, the day I'll probably die, I'll be on a tennis court. And that's the way to go to heaven. Just like Arthur Ashe. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's interesting. I think it's a little different. I talked to Dick uh, a couple weeks ago, Dick Gould. Yeah. who I know I'm sure you have a ton of respect for as well. Yeah. He did a great, he did a great job up there, but I don't know if he ever played after college. Like we are still trying to keep the game up. I'm not sure, but he was, uh, he had a lot of similarities to you as far as he wasn't one of those, uh, what do you call it? Nazi coaches. You know, he was more of a, let's try and bring out the passion. Let's bring out the best in everybody and not scare the shit out of them. Uh, you know, there's two, there's really two types of coaches, right? And then, you know, there's the ones that uh, punish you. And then the ones that try to uh, yeah. use psychology, I guess, to try and, and Dick was more like, I guess we were in a bit. Oh yeah. Uh, no, 
he treated his players so well and they played for him. And that's, I love, they did. I, I love my players. I love the guys. I love the guys. They were brothers to me when I first started coach because only a few years older. And then as I grew older, I became kind of like a, you know, like a, a not like their parent, but more like an uncle, you know, uncle. Yeah. Yeah. I feel the same way. Even now today, I feel the same way. Uh, that's funny. And I got a couple guys out there playing and uh, they're on the tour getting their sixth ATP point or their seventh ATP point. It's tough out there, man. I don't know. You have guys out there. I'm sure you, you know how tough it is. They got to travel to Af South Africa. They got to go all over the world to get a point. I know. It's, it's amazing. It's such a joyous, joyous thing. I mean, I remember when I was coaching for the national team, Bijan and, and, um, oh, no, I'm drawing up. A blank and i was just remembering him uh he grew up with Bijan, playing with Bijan on the national team and uh, we could put him in uh when they were young 14 uh was it foreman steve foreman steve, that's it steve foreman okay. yeah i i where i coached both those boys i think at that time i know when i, I yeah talking to you a lot when we put him and we were sending him to training camps and you know yeah i remember they were really you did a great, great job. And I remember you used to talk to me about the swivel and I thought it was great. You know, I thought, <laughs> that's really rhythmic. I mean, that's got a good reggae beat to it. Da -da -da. It has a one beat. It does. I really like, um, you know, I really like that. And we talked about that a lot. And yeah, and it's, you can't get out of your system. I think life as a coach or as a tennis, as a, as a brother in the game of tennis is, uh, is a, is a beautiful thing that will resonate in our lives forever. And if you truly are, I found that because I passionately love the game and I still love it. You know what I mean? It's uh, and, and I, I love it even more now because I have to hit every day now, because when you're a college coach and a teaching pro and you're on the court all day, you don't go out and play. I mean, there was a big chunk of my life when I was, I know. and then at Boise state, uh, uh, when I was here, then we, you know, we were, we were so good. Like when I was at Irvine, I could play with the guys, you know, sure. Boise State. So I was at Irvine with, I had guys like Snyder and then I had, you know, Eric Quaid and Bruce Manson Hing. Yeah, and, Manson Hing, yeah. And I had these guys, you know, but at least I could go out and hit with them. And then when I got to, after, you know, a few years at Boise State, I was getting these guys and, you know, we were in the top 10 and beating Pac-10 schools. And all of a sudden it was like, uh, it was hard. I, I found all I did was feed, you know, and I couldn't hit with them. If we did, if I did, it was two on ones and I'd be in the corner hitting. And then after a while, it was two guys hitting against one guy. And I was feeding, yeah. hoping that they would miss hit a ball so I could hit it. Yeah, I had the same issue. Uh, you know, I could play with Steve and Beige and Eric and all those guys till they're about 15, mm -hmm. 14, 15. And, uh, and then Sam, I worked with him quite a bit. But then after a while, you're right. I mean, I felt like I was getting out of shape because my players were so good. I didn't want to hold them back. Yeah, yeah. So I just had them play each other mostly. And two-on-one -on -one drills where I would just be the feeder. And it's amazing. You know, you can, I used to think, God, I'm getting out of shape. But most people would look at me and go, you're a tennis bro. How is that possible? And I'm like, well, it's possible. <laughs> I, I can tell you a funny story. Uh, I was coaching World Team Tennis. And, you know, Andy Roddick was involved with the junior national team, I was a national coach. So there was a relationship there, but uh, I got- Was it the one in Newport Beach? Is that team in Newport Beach, the Breakers or whatever that was called? Yeah, I went to, I had a team in Newport Beach and then I had a team in Idaho. 
Then I went to uh, St. Louis for seven years. And oh, I, got, I didn't know. I got, okay. I got Andy involved with the team in, in Boise. And it was the Idaho Sneakers. And, uh, or what was it? Yeah, we were the Sneakers. I can't remember because we were in Newport Beach. We were the, not the Breakers. We were the, oh my gosh, I can't remember. I did, I did how many years? 14, 18, 19 years of World Team Tennis. But I got Andy, who's on the junior national team. I got him to play for us for Idaho. And uh, and then he played for me in St. Louis. But I remember one time in St. Louis, he hit one of his teammates with a serve after it bounced and it hit the player. And I started laughing. And it was like, oh, my God, I've never seen a guy hit a serve in and it hit the other player because he, he just whiffed it and hit him. So I started cracking up and the guy goes, and it was, um, oh, I can't remember his name, but he gave me the racket and he goes, you return it yeah. and so all, or you just touch the ball, just touch it. So Andy's so competitive. He's not going to, he's going to hit it. He's going to hit it a hundred and a billion miles an hour and he's going to get it in and he's going to ace me or better yet. He's going to try and hit me. Yeah. Try and hit me. And I'm there. I thought he was getting it. And he goes, he gave it to me. His name was uh, Andy Ram. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, doubles player. Yeah, yeah. He was yeah. a doubles player on the team. And Andy played singles. Andy Ram was whatever. So Andy gave me his right. And I'm here. And all of a sudden, I mean, I can touch his serve. Boom, comes, just misses me. And I go, oh, crap. I can't even see this ball. He goes up. And that's the thing about Andy serve when you understand his serve was so low and his arm was here that he hit it. You didn't get a chance to track the ball, right? Kind of like, kind of like Roscoe. Yeah. You, you kind of contract the ball. Yeah. It's so big. And I swear to God, I was so frightened. He was going to hit me with the ball. I was scared to death. Like he's going to hit me and it's going to kill me. So I'm just trying to get out of the way and maybe touch it, you know, foop, and he's acing me hitting me. You know, I hit a, touch you know i got off the strings a few times but most of the time he was just you know and i tried to move back so i tried to move back well that just gave him more of angle. Course, more angle yeah instead of him trying to hit me he was trying to hit me for a while and then and so then afterwards we had a great laugh and i looked at andy and i said i'll, I'll never laugh again andy i promise forgive me <laughs> so well was, that's funny yeah great. i'm such I'm such a wise ass. I know what I would have done and I would have gotten hit. I would have probably tried to savor it. <laughs> no, it, it was, I figured that'd be my only shot. Yeah. Yeah. You know, just take it on the short hop and pray. Yeah. Well, you know, we had, um, you're talking about Sam Query, you know, Sam Query played and did, it was great. Sam and Andy used to play with my son and daughter and, you know, my oh, son yeah. played at Boise State, played one for us and put, went and played some futures and, uh, for a year and was really good. He just had, you know, struggle like most sometimes kids. You just got to be perfectly healthy. And, but he, uh, and he, you know, he played for it was a joy. But I remember when he was a little kid, he used to play with Andy and Sam. And when I was really, doing, yeah, and my daughter played at Eastern Washington, played, you know, junior tennis and stuff. So it, when you're talking about, uh, like, for example, how it's funny how life, our family never would have gotten and my niece my sister's daughter played here at boise state and was a top one of the top players in hawaii because my sister taught in hawaii for uh like 10 years 
And so it's amazing how the things in life work. And by that, I mean, uh, this accident I had when I was 11 years old, where I got shot in a BB gun, propelled my mother into learning the game so she could teach me. Because, and this is one thing that's I've learned a lot as a coach. I don't see the ball that well. But what I do, because I see I have double vision because of my vision. My, I have a, the two pupils. Or I, have, I understand. You know, it was a lot worse back in the 80s uh, when I met you. Yeah. Um, it seemed like it was worse back then. In fact, I think you were wearing a patch. Am I right? I had at times I did. Yeah, because I had yeah, that's right. You did. I had surgeries like crazy trying. But what happened? And there's a good thing. There's a there's a beautiful thing about it. Is my mother realized, which was, and then I realized what how brilliant she was. She realized that the court was constant, right? So. It was always constant. So I couldn't see the ball that well, but if I could really relax and notice where the ball bounced, that a lot of times people track it all the way to the racket. I would see not necessary, yeah. And I would guess where it's well, obviously the problem that I've always had is with my volley. Because there's no bounce. It's just right. and I'm just trying. And so my volley when I was playing was just block it. Block. Just keep it still. Block. But the ball with the ground stroke, and I would get caught up into the rhythm of the game and really focus on where the ball bounced. And then what happened was when I became a coach, a lot of times I would say, if you know where the ball bounces, and you know, do this, and people are watching this, do this sometimes, it'll help you. Is that right before you hit the ball, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Yeah, I do the C. Yeah, I agree with you. And it focuses you to watch the bounce of where the ball is gonna come. And then what you do is you get in tune with a person that slice, you know, the ball's going to stay lower, right? Now, and so what you do is you, you know, you, it's almost the idea, like, because I'm basically blind when I make contact with the ball. And that's what I start doing with my athletes. And it goes, wow, helps me watch the ball better. Because if you close her at the time, and all of a sudden you're finding you're hitting the ball, because what you've done is you calculated in the beauty of our brain and the God has done this, made us, is that we calculate where the ball is and where it's going to come. It's the same thing like, you know, a basketball player. How can Stephen Curry shoot a 45-foot jump shot? I mean, that we have this sense of space and how, in, in terms of how we calculate, which is magical. Sure. Remember I was talking about magical behavior and miraculous events. That was my life. Magical behavior is learning where the ball bounces, and I'm hitting it, and all of a sudden the miraculous event is it goes over, and it feels good. And I play for the feeling. I played like, and you were talking about it, is we play for this feeling that we have. And like I go out and I hit, and I can hit for an hour. And if I'm especially hitting the ball well, it's like a dance. You don't want the song to end. You just, I love to hit. You know, it's like it's almost sad to yeah. stop. I have a thing which I do with the players called the blissful hit. And when they come out, it's a blissful hit. We're not competing. We're getting in tone with this cadence, the rhythm, the music of the ball, right? Sure. And at the end of practice, no matter what happens in practice or in a match or in a tournament, at the end of it, at the end of it, you go back and you end with a blissful hit. Now, we would do this with my team and it wasn't mandatory, but lots of times my guys would go blissful hit coach. 
One time we played at UCLA and we got beat by UCLA. But the guys played pretty well, but we still got probably smoked. I think we got smoked like seven to two. They were pretty tough. They were pretty tough. Yeah, so they they were good. I mean, even though we did beat them at UCLA several times. Who was there at the time? I'm curious. Was it uh, Tony Graham, Paley, those guys? Or a different uh, guy? Or was it or was it Van Hoff? No, 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 no. Van Hoff was at SC. We beat Oh, we, that's right. That's right. That's okay. Right. So in my career, we probably played the packed, you know, UCLA, SC, Stanford, and Cal. Uh, you know, hundreds of times. And and I gotta admit that we've probably had two or three wins over UCLA, three, two over SC, beat Stanford, and we beat Cal several times. Berkeley, yeah. Probably count them on two hands, more than one, but which is great. But their wins, and believe me, I, I did this, I did a, a clinic with Dick Gould at Stanford, not at Stanford, but down in Palm Springs. And I went to the crowd and I go, I've got a win over this guy, the greatest coach in the history of the game. Yeah. I've got two wins. And then let Dick laughs and gets he goes, and I probably had 30 wins over Greg State. <laughs> and I love yeah. it. I said, hey, no. But this is what we attain to. You you attain, you always want to go to the Pearly Gates tennis club, the same thing. You want to play with the best. Yeah, you, know, you want to play with the best. And even oh, yeah. for small victories. But to go back to this one story, after we played UCLA, and we lost. And the guys go, we want to do a blissful hit. Because a lot of them played, felt they were playing pretty well. And they just wanted to get to go leave the court. Now, it's like playing catch and like feel the dreams. You're just playing catch with your dad. And that's the blissful hit. You're just hitting the ball and you're sure. cleansing the body, the tension of it. And we're cleansing and we're just hitting, right? Hitting and it feels good. So then we pack our bags and we feel good about ourselves and that we do the skill great and it's the music. So, but several people come up to see us play because this was close to the time when I was at, had been at Irvine. So a lot of my people and friends from Irvine, because I lived down in Irvine for 13 years, you know, as, as a coach there for 13 years. So a lot of my former players and, 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 and friends and I came and they said, Greg, that's unlike you to punish your team for hitting after a match. And I go, man, it's not punishment, man. This is a gift. It was fun. We do it. So we leave the court, not as a place of slaughter. Sure. It's like, it, it's, it's not a, a grave. It is not a battlefield. It is a dance. It's a disco. It's a disco. It's a, it's a place that resonates joy, sure. fun, and music, and that. And we leave it. We leave it, and we leave it with our blessing and with our grace. Yeah. You know what I mean? We've left it with grace. And so what it does is it makes us want to come back and do it again. And so that is like that is like kind of where I came from and what I've always believed is, you know, uh, the joy of the dance of tennis, the joy of the competition, the joy. And most people don't get it. And if you can find it, hang on to it, you know? Like I said, most people in the world are spectators. The blessed, the blessed are the ones that play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's funny you say that because tennis is very much like that. I can hardly get my kids, uh, you know, Bijan and those guys, I can hardly get them to watch a match. Yeah. I'm like, you guys should see Agassi Sampras. They're in the finals. It's going to be amazing. Uh, yeah, well, maybe we'll watch some. They never did. And I, I just, they would rather play. And I guess that's the way I was too when I was a kid. Uh, 
So for I do remember one classic uh, Rosewall Laver five setter. I do remember watching that and that kind of spurred me on. So when the kids did watch a match, when they did spectate, it just seemed to help. Yeah, uh, yeah. But you're right. They hardly ever wanted to spectate. They want to play. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah it's, it's, uh, and that's what it's all about. And if, you know, think about this, um, I'm more in this ev more than ever now because you know, I'm getting older and, and I finally realized, you know, it's, and that's the reason I kind of went to coaching a high school test. Kids asked me to coach at their high school. I said, for sure. Cause it's, it's the fountain of youth that keeps me moving. But you know, tennis, as you know, this Mark Kovac just came out with like the 10th study on it. I mean, there's been nine studies around and there's a genealogist that boys. I've been school. seeing those. Yeah. You live longer. They live longer. And I had this guy tell me 15 years ago, he says, what athletes live the longest? And I said, well, runners. And he said, no, Greg, I go to tennis. And he goes, absolutely. And for so many reasons, it's the first of all, it's the, we'll talk about the rhythm, the cadence. We're rhythmic creatures, our heartbeat, the circulatory system going through, it's rhythmic. It's also, it's very social, incredibly social, which means people are more social, live longer. They got a reason to live because they got friends. We have a community of people that are youth-minded like ourselves. It's also the stress, no stress. Runners run with a lot of stress. Those people don't live that long because there's always pressure on the heart in that. There's so much. And the week tennis is you play, you stop. You play, you stop. You play, you stop. You rest, you go back. And there's that. And it's also how the mind, you keep the mind alive because the mind is, I mean, all think about the computer that's going on when you're running to a forehand. You see the ball, the I see it, you move to it. The body's got to be just perfectly right to distance the ball from you, you know, so that you can hit with this apparatus that's become an extension of your body and your limbs. It's, it's an incredible thing. So if there's any reason for anybody's listening, to, you know, watching this is, keep on playing because you're going to live longer you're going to act younger you're going to feel younger and that's the way i feel i can't can't stop can't stop yeah, yeah i i hear you You know I, I always go back to the same thing um you know you know pickleball is getting big and platform tennis i played platform for the first time yesterday it's fun especially against off the fences that's interesting oh, yeah. um but tennis is truly and i say this all the time it's truly the king of sports yeah um, because unlike golf, you, you're not stationary. You're moving while you hit, as you say. It's not just forehands, unless you're Carlos Moya, you know, or, or Jim Courier. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then it's just forehands, or Steve Foreman. <laughs> it's just forehands. But for most of us, it's both sides. So, you know, it's this equal movement. Then, of course, there's serving and there's touch, right? Like, like shooting a, a three-footer. Uh, or, or, or putting a three footer, you know, there's touch and, and finesse and there's spin. So it truly is. I've always said it's the king of sports and I believe it, you know, deep down in my heart, you know, and that's why I, I always try to share um, the stuff I've learned, uh, you know, th through, um, through my studies. I, I think, uh, you know, it's interesting to, uh, I went in a different direction. I went individual coaching, right? I worked with all those SoCal kids and kids from all over the world, actually, and and some adults as well. Um, but you went team route. And and sometimes I, I kind of jealous about that and wished I had done that, except for I have to admit, sometimes when we were at the Winter Super Nationals and Foreman was in the finals or Riley was in the finals or 
where Sam was playing Donald Young in the finals. You know, it was kind of exciting to be there. And I thought, well, that can't be any better than this. I don't care if you're at Wimbledon finals. There's nothing better than, than, than Kalamazoo. There's nothing better than the Winter Supernats. But I, I will say, now that I'm getting older, you know, I'm just three years behind you. And um, I, I wished I had done some team stuff because that seems like a whole different thing. Um, mine was more technique, one-on-one, and, yep. and yours was, was more of, uh, in fact, that's one of the questions I do want to ask. How did you deal with all these personalities at once? At least I got to hang with them. You know, Bijan's a very different guy than Foreman, right? Yeah. I mean, very different guy. And then Sam's got the dry sense of humor, super quiet. He's different than both. And, but one-on-one, it's easy because I'm like you, I'm a bro. I can hang with whatever and adjust my personality a little. Yeah. But what do you do when you have a team, when you have guys like Barry Buss, you know, who are so talented, ridiculously talented, but then you have other guys, uh, maybe like a John Austin, who work their asses off, you know, and really work hard and they're straight down the line. I mean, how do you, um, how do you deal with that? I mean, have you ever thought about that? Because I, I think about that all the time, uh, how you guys do it. Well, you know, uh, my whole thing, I worked for the USDA for, I did a Junior Davis Cup for four years. And then I coached on the national. I was full-time employee for the USDA for four years. I took a break from college. That's how uh, I was at Boise State. I left, I worked four years. And then after four years, I went back to Boise State. So, um, but there's the power of community that I loved. And I, you know, it's funny because I have several friends. One of the guys was a junior Davis Cup coach with me was Brad Stein. And, And Brad and I are close friends. I'm, and he's one of my best friends and I was in his wedding and he was in mine. And, and he, um, you know, here's a guy that was good with great teams, but man, when he was one-on-one, he's magic. I mean, he would coach Courier where Courier won a slam. He you know, coached Grosjean. He coached Kevin Anderson. who has been in the finals of slams. That's when he was coaching. I was coaching Tommy Paul. Tommy Paul's top 20 in the world. So they have that skill, the one-on-one that, that, that constant, you know, I always was drawn to the, the magnetism and the power and the beauty and the magic of a team playing for each other, using each other to motivate, using each other to soothe the pain of losing, you know, having this type of thing, teaching about resilience. It's easier to do when you have a team. And it's when people get lost in the success of others in terms of and, and the joy that they have that their teammates do well and, and teaching them to rejoice in the game. I think that you it's it's a magic that you can help players become better. That's the reason I, I feel adamantly like back in the days when we had the junior national team and you know and, and da- junior Davis Cup team. I mean, look at Junior Davis Cup team. I was traveling with Sampras, Courier, Chang. You know, the only one that wasn't on it was Agassi, but you had Martin Blackman, you had Jonathan Stark, you had you had all these guys together traveling. And and when you put a lot of great ingredients into the soup, you have a gourmet masterpiece. And and it's easy because also, you know, the practice, can you imagine all that talent on the court practicing? And they're being pushed. They're being pushed. Everybody's pushing each other to get better. And, 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 and they push, they don't understand. They don't realize that they just, I got it. I'm just as good as that guy. And that guy's going, I'm better. I'm just as good as him. So they're trying to be on top of the planet. It's, it's natural. It's inherent. 
it's an inherent thing but to play for each other remember the greatest feeling is to serve others okay one of the greatest things is to serve others is to serve your teammates like they're all playing like i'm going to france next monday i coach our national team and the masters you and um and it's it's an awesome awesome feeling you know to we go there and I, I've coached it 11 years and COVID took a, and now we're restarting it. It used to be sponsored by the USTA. Now the ITA Intercollegiate Tennis Association has helped me to keep it alive. And my assistant coach is Amanda Augustus, who's at Cal. And, and there's times uh, Rance Brown, who's the assistant at UCLA. Rance. Yeah. He's great. But at least mm -hmm. my, and Amanda's my sister and we're, you know, and my son's going to help. My son's helped me the last few years because he goes out and he's a playing coach with the team. And he's really kind of taken more coaching because he's coached college tennis since he's 30, since he was 25 at uh, Cal Poly. So I was at Michigan for three years as an assistant, grad assistant. So it's, it's the power of, uh, I, I really believe in the community is there's this power. We're not meant to be loathsome cowpokes on the prairie. We're meant to be, you know, the Jesse James gang, <laughs> you know, shoot, yeah. shoot about that, you know, and you're, and, and, and we're, it's a tribe and they learn the meaning of the word pal. <laughs> yeah. You learn, and you learn how to rejoice in the success of others because you've been a part of it. And maybe it's because I worked with so many juniors because now that I'm thinking about it, you get these kids when they're 18. Yeah. Well, and they're first away from their parents and their family. Yeah. so i guess it's a little different i can tell you in the 14s and the 12s it's hard to get kids wanting success for other i'll tell you as much as i, I love beige and steve right and they were doubles partners yeah i don't think beige got a lot of thrill out of steven winning ever or vice versa because they were 13 and 14 i think it's different at 18 well they were part of a team first of all i was coaching those guys on the national team at that age so when you that's when you and i became, really established a relationship that's and, right and, but and and the pro the and, and it, it's a problem is the fact that their their rivalry was intense there's nobody that wanted to beat more than each other and they're immature and young yes so i almost felt like a guardian angel i come in there and i'm just going both you guys you know it's okay but your job is you're being paid I'm being paid by the by the USTA to bring these guys together and the right. magic of each other. You were being paid by the families to make their sons great, and there was a little bit of jealousy, like as and there yes. was maybe mistrust. And I've seen that several times. Coaches that work with good players, they're going like, "Well, the parents are going, wait, 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 wait. Who's number one on that coach's list?" and you they both were i mean all your players you had loved in that it's the same way with being a college coach but the results of my guys as compared to yours their results is all individual right my results were always based on team score that right. my guys and that's the beauty of the team is that when we played college tennis and i mean i spent 40 years as a college coach and in college the results I spent more than 40 years. Holy crap, how many years? But needless to say, is our results, I always found that the guys, that if they lost a dual match or something, if the team won, all there was was joy. 
the team won. Right. We never, never. And I said the greatest joy and gift is to be able to play for the match, win or lose, because you, every guy on the team is passionately invested in you. Here's the word passion again. Passion's created mm -hmm. by purpose. And what's the purpose? To win the match. Winning, yeah. The team. And that there's the passion. And there's guys that are living on the sidelines. They're doing this and they can't. And then when they, have you ever seen how there's those mobs that they bury the guy after he's won? Yeah. That's the joy. That's the reason people play tennis. That's the reason so many, that's the reason I feel like Agassi and Sampras and Chang, some of those guys missed out. They really missed out. Yeah, I guess. And you, huh, that's interesting. Except that huh. Davis Cup. And I think sometimes like the, probably the best Davis Cup player or coach was, I mean, there's been some great ones. So I, but the greatest one, Tommy Golgson. Tommy Golgson was always about playing doubles with his brother, playing for others. He's, you know, Coach Courier for a while. He coached Sampras and right. Tim and Tom. And they they always, you know, they, it was always about the, what a great joy. They realized the joy does not change. It's not lessened if you're a part of a family team, camaraderie, when your teammate wins for the team. And the joy that you have is just as great as if though you had done it yourself. Yeah. I think I say, no, no, it's when I won. But you know, when you think about it, I've been on, I've seen the guys and the look in their faces and they're just the joy that they did it. And and there's that's that's the thing about being human, the spirit, the soul that we have. Right. There's a soul in their heart beating, and there's that elation that you've done that for others. That's the reason I go back to the feeling. Why do you play? I mean, you know, because of the feeling. What's the feeling? I love so, that. What's the other feeling? To serve others, right? And then, and then you go, and when you do well, and you're doing it well for others, and the thing that that's the reason parents who do it well, they get to the joy of that. And I and I think parents sometimes don't get it. You know, it's like there there's the the repercussion well that was sort of my next question because i had trouble with parents i'm not going to mention the names because you know them all <laughs> i had one parent um yeah i can't mention the name because you'll know them and other people will but i had one parent write me a hundred thousand dollar check and this was back in the early late 90s yeah so you're probably guessing who it was anyway and he said i don't want you to call you can have this check but i only want you coaching my kids I don't want you coaching Riley or this one. Or he, he would say because it was too competitive and he didn't, he wanted his son to get all my attention. And the other kid who he was playing a lot with was like one in the nation. And he was like three in the nation and the father just had the money. And I said, not a chance in the world. I laughed. I said, not a chance in the world. Would I do this? I said, I love all my students. Number one, number two, I said, boy, I would never just want one boss. I said, I like having 60, 50 bosses, you know, I lose one. Okay. I'm okay. I said, I'm not going to take your check. Did you have parents that gave you any trouble in your 40 years of coaching? You must've, you don't have to mention names, but you must've. Not, not as much because maybe I was doing junior Davis cup. It was, uh, in doing the national team because, um, I can see that. Yeah. And there's so much in their minds are so much at stake. Right. And, but, and one thing I learned when I was a college coach is sometimes players would call me and I'd go, parents would call me and I'd go, uh, you know, their position of the kid on the team or why wasn't he playing? Right. Or, you know, 
or why did you discipline them, you know, for whatever reason. And I go, would you call the employer of your son and ask for a raise or reprimand because they weren't doing that. They weren't like the vice chair of the company or something. No, you wouldn't. And if you did, your son probably would get fired. So you don't do that with me. You do not know all that, the things. Oh, so you did get heavy once in a while. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But not that much because I'm okay. Kind of, I would me neither. Not much. I kind of laugh it off. But there was there was times. Absolutely. In 40 years, over 40 years of a college coaching with, and then on the national team. But the, it was pretty, you know, the, the thing about the national team, too, is that we were paying all their expenses. You know, I mean, those guys were being paid. Go, we we're going all over the world. Sure. But they can't, you know, they, they're not paying me that, you know, so and have I worked with individuals? Yeah. Have I worked with individuals where I was getting paid to coach? Yeah. But really minimum. I mean, basically, by and large, you know, I teach lessons now and and stuff for the fun of it. But and I have uh, I try to get a community to use the players like I'll, I'll work with players up here in Boise now and uh, I have them go to group lessons and stuff. And I travel so much. And I'm speaking so much that uh, lots of the kids are working with other coaches that are good friends of mine. So I don't you know, I, I it, like I said, I've been able to transverse that unlike you have, because really, to be honest with you. There's a big, there's not a difference in terms of the, I feel the knowledge and the love of the game and the passion for the game between you and I, but we're in different environments. Yes. When you work with one guy individually and, you know, like Brad and Brad and Brad Stein, I talk about this all the time. Uh, Brad keeps going over. I said the dark side. I mean, you know, he's coached all these guys individually and eventually they break up, you know, but I adopt them into my family and there's no breakup because they can go on and get married and have families and this and that, uh, theoretically speaking. And you're you know, right about that. You're right about that. And and I don't, I'm not, you know, like whatever, if they'll ask me what the other coach is doing, I'll never criticize what other coach is doing. Like someone will go, what do you think this guy's doing with me? And I go, listen to him. I mean, he's the best interest of your kid is at heart. And just, and I'm not getting involved in that. Oh my God, never, never in my life. Every coach has coached, you know, kids that I've worked with as they're my soul brothers. They're my compadres. They're my compatriots. That's my army. That's, you know, those are my family. So, yeah. and that's, I think, the reason I have so much joy in the game is like, for example, I'm going to France next week. My closest, and when we've been, we haven't, I haven't coached that team for three years because of COVID. And now we're starting it up again. And I'm taking, and on that team, I've taken Mackie McDonald. I've taken Stevie Johnson. I've taken uh, uh, Marcus Giron. I've taken Chris Eubanks. I've taken Jerome Jenkins. I've taken uh, Austin Krejcik. I've taken Rajiv uh, Ram. I mean, it, you know, I've had some great players. And the women, Danielle Collins. And yep. a great, great experience. But, you know, they're, they're, their coaches are their college coaches at the time when they play for us. It's a collegiate national team. And it's it's just a choice. But I get these guys that haven't, you know, 
the teammates also they get to be teammates because they're playing for the usa right right and, and and what a great honor to be playing you know with you know the usa written on your logo right and and, and representing your country so we're going over there and that's my whole my responsibility is team building it's just all team building it's bringing this family together you know and playing for each other and having energy and fun and joy because it's so much fun having cheering we just sing songs and you know we sing songs and we chant and and all sorts of stuff it's just a, it's a great great feeling and i work with the coaches and i started doing this when i was a college coach so i would talk to the coaches and we'd talk about and i knew kind of like you know the coaches would be really upfront about things about their players and and they're you know that's those are my opponents eventually sometimes i have to play them when i was coaching but that was something that i took as a it was a privilege it was an honor that they bestowed upon me that they would share these things about their players so their players could play well at an international event so i never i never took advantage of that i mean i had to cherish that i had to cherish my brotherhood and the fact that i was able to be part of it and had Brandon Holt on that team, you know, and, and talked, you know, and worked with Brett Macy, who was coaching Brent, you know, Brandon, Brandon. And, 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 uh, you know, I worked with guys from, you know, Stanford that Dick and had coached and. Yeah. It's a whole different world. I mean, I, that's probably why I reinvented myself this way. I, I've always been one-on-one kind of like we are now. Yeah. And, and I think um, for me, since um, it was never about team, as I dropped out of the teaching, partly because I moved to Colorado here, and it's funny, I'm still coaching a little bit, can't help myself, but uh, yeah, I just said, what am I going to do now? And uh, it wouldn't be a team, you know, it wouldn't be associated with the school. I said, well, you know, uh, I like my methodology still, and I think it's unique, but I want to talk to all my friends that I've always just wanted to talk to, like with you. I mean, this is a great excuse for us to chat. It really yeah. is. And I just don't know if I would have ever picked up the phone, even though I would have said, yeah, I really like Greg, man. I knew him a long time ago. And I wonder what he's doing today. And same with like Dick Gould and, and, and everyone else I've talked to. Um, and, and so it just yeah. makes me, it makes me think, you know, that, that this is why I probably picked what I do now uh, to continue doing. Um, yeah. But, you know, as you were talking about, it's all about relationships. Our relationships that we've had is that there's a camaraderie and a brotherhood. I, I was saying about going to the Masters U. I'm going back there. The Irish coaches are my dearest friends. I go back to England every year after the tournament. I watch the training of England, but the English coaches bring me along. I love them. The German coach and I are really close. He's been riding me. As I said, the Irish coach, I go and spend a week in Dublin with the Irish coach and have the time of my life. Took my son there and never saw him he was out <laughs> around dublin my wife goes how's garage guys i haven't seen him he's been having so much fun uh, that's great that's great it's one on my bucket list ireland i want to go yeah. there yeah and then you know one of the things that uh, what resonated me if you ask what's the greatest thing about college coaching you know, the greatest thing was in those days in every generation there was different things but i mean i remember coaching against Gould and being good and having dinner with him and Billy Wright, who's at Cal. Who's oh yeah, the Wright, Billy Wright, uh, Perry. Was it Perry Wright? No, it was Billy. Billy. Oh okay. And he coached and he was the most delightful human being in the world. Delightful, and he always had like in this trunk. Where would he ever go? He'd have a basketball, a baseball bat, a baseball mitt, a frisbee. You know, play tennis. I'd go. I went down to Mexico with him one time just as buddies, 
And then there's, you know, Bobby Bayless from Notre Dame. There's Dick Leach, who I love Dick. And Dick was an assistant coach with me for World Team Tennis when I had his two sons playing. So his two sons were playing on my team with Amy Fraser. And I said, Dick, I mean, your sons, do you want to be a coach with me with the, you know, with the uh, Idaho sneakers that we had up here? And he said, for sure. And then he went on to coach down in Newport Beach. And right, right. So, He's still there, I think. Yeah. And then Alan Fox, you know. Alan Fox, I remember Alan. Alan's a great guy. I still talk to him. Oh, Alan's awesome. I mean, he's, he's awesome. And then I've always been good friends with, you know, and one of my favorites is, you know, uh, down in that area is Wayne Bryan. I've known Wayne since, you know, Wayne, my sister worked for Wayne at Camarillo and at Cabrillo Rock Club. And I've known Wayne since he was at UCSB. I mean, he's older than I am, but he was like a legend up there. And I learned, so, you know, when I was first starting coach at UCSB, you know, Wayne's sons were like just three and four. Right. And was telling me about his theories and his thoughts. And here, you know, he had the two greatest doubles players in the world in the history of mankind. And they're, you know, they're saving a spot for them in heaven that they're going to get free gratis through the pearly gates because he were the greatest and Wayne's the greatest. So I've been so blessed with these friendships, you know, you yeah. know, that, and, and John Hubble from up in, you know, John, I talked to John a few months ago. He's great. John's oh my god what a great coach is San Jose then he was a national coach with me and and down in your area you know coaches Valerie Ziegenfuss you know Val Ziegenfuss right over in LA yeah she worked on the national team with me and she was my soul sister she was so great and uh-huh I mean I love her to death she's so much fun and we did these camps with the juniors which Bijan and Stevie Foreman had been going to you know they were part I remember of I remember yeah it's been yeah, it's been a joyous journey. And I just, that's, you know, you got to keep it going. I, you, you just don't stop. You don't stop being like, if you're, you like to play music, you know, you're Bob Dylan, you're still doing concerts, even though you have no voice. <laughs> you, can't you, know, you know, it's funny this morning. I get, yeah, I gave a virtual lesson this morning, which is what I do now. A lot of, I, I do uh, videos, <laughs> you know, people send me videos and I, so I worked with this guy and we were talking about, he was telling me about his piano lessons as well and how it related to his tennis lessons with me. And, and I told him, I said, you know, I have to play my guitar every two or three days because if I don't, my fingers get soft. Yeah, yeah. Can't have that, you know, can't have that. Hey, listen, you know, we ended up just going down memory lane kind of like I thought might happen. And I didn't get to almost any of the questions I had that I know people would want to hear. So we're going to we're going to hopefully pick it up. So I, I really enjoy uh, I enjoy this and, and I can't take more of your time. I, I feel bad about that. I know you got stuff to do, but. Um, I'd sure like to do it again when you when you have some free time. Yeah, no, for sure, I'd love to do that. Let That'd be great. This has been so much fun. It kind of. Uh, In fact, you're my neck of the woods now, Idaho. How far are you? How far is Boise from Denver? Is it a flight or is it a drive? It's. Uh, I think it's. That's a great question. I've driven it, and it is a long drive. Really? Uh, yeah, but let me, let me check. I I've done the drive, but it's it's it's. But you know, we're stuck up in the corner. People don't know, like to drive down to Santa Barbara to go because I had you know, my son was coaching at UCSB and my daughter was working in the athletics department there and uh, at UC Santa Barbara. And we would drive down there, it's like 13 hours. So, uh, from I, Boise to, to, to LA or, or SoCal, it was 13 yeah. hours. Santa Barbara, yeah, it's it's a heck of a drive, yeah. And but we, how far, but how far could it possibly be from Denver? We're both in the mountains. 
Let me ask, how long does it take to get to Denver by car from Boise, Idaho? 11 hours. That's not so bad. Not bad. Once you get to 12 hours, ah, yeah. Cake, 11's heaven. 12 smells. <laughs> no, no, 11 hours, not so bad. It's like, uh, it's like going to it's like going from San Diego to Vegas and back. Not a big deal. And back. <laughs> it is uh, driving to Vegas. They'll look at the sign, throw a bet down, and get back in the car and drive back. I yeah, that's but you know, I drove uh, I, I I drove one of the greatest. I, I want to write a book about this. I drove with my son to Ann Arbor when he was doing working on his masters and being a a, a volunteer coach, grad assistant for uh, Adam Steinberger used to coach at Pepperdine at Michigan. Uh, I mean, I know Adam. I sold him a bunch of eight boards. <laughs> yeah, he's the best. Adam's great. And, he and took over Pete Smith's job. He at Pepperdine. At Pepperdine, Peter yeah. was a coach there, and then he went to USC. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, he, he Adam took over Pete's job. I remember. Yeah, and so uh, and so I drove back to um, I drove to Ann Arbor with. Garrett and I'm telling you, that's a drive. That yeah, and we we just camped out on we camped out in Yosemite and and then we went up to Mount Rushmore and and we decided we didn't want to keep going. We stayed at Mount Rushmore so we could see that. And then see if there's an Indian, a Native American monument near Mount Rushmore that they built. So we went to that one. It was oh awesome. yeah yeah. So it was kind of you know so that that was a spiritual thing that i wish you know i probably will never get that opportunity to do that again with my son and and i yeah because he's gonna get married he's 30 now and oh and, yeah uh, life moves on for all of us doesn't it yeah you know it's like gosh dang get that back i want to get that back but i guess it comes with grandkids so my daughter and my son but my daughter my daughter's single and uh my son's gonna get married so but i know if they're gonna I just got to stay young, play tennis. So I can enjoy the grandkids and teach them tennis. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I'd, uh, I would definitely entertain a trip out there. Are you playing indoors these days or outdoors in the winter? No, we're, we could play outdoors a day, but the last few weeks we were indoors. I'm going to play pretty soon. As a matter of fact. Nice. Nice. We go indoors today. And you mostly hitting down the middle or are you playing doubles or what are you doing mostly? Well, no, I've been trying to be honest with you. I'm trying to play, uh, compete a lot more because that's a really important, you know, I like to hit and turn the music on just hit, but, uh, no, I get these guys and we hit for probably 45 minutes. And then for the next hour we play, uh, we'll either play singles or lots of times I like to do, just get my double skills. We go, you know, half court, you know, serve and volley. Hit right. So we, we do right. that. You got to compete or you're not going to get better. Right. The, the craziness when you compete like sometimes i think we train too much on um drilling and instead of just always putting i'm really a games-based player i agree I, I really feel that our job is to create chaos create chaos in um in practice because i don't think we're never more alive than when there's you're unsure of the ending right and that's when we're more alive. Like when you're playing games that you're, you're unsure of what's going to happen. Drilling, you know, that becomes routine and you're, you know, you're aware of what the ending is going to be. Right. But when you're competing, <laughs> you're, you don't know there's anything that happened. And so that's, right. 
way to train is right. I'm really games based and I talk about like I said you're never more aware when then there's you're uncertain of the ending or you're uncertain there's chaos so right all right that's good to hear now I mostly play points <laughs> and, and uh mostly mostly just working on trying to look more like fed every day that's all <laughs> that's I know when we go to heaven a lot of us are going to be flying just like fed because <laughs> there is that's like that's it. I'm going to miss that guy. I'm glad Djokovic is back on the scene because I think he's the greatest player right now of all time. And uh, it's nice that they're letting him play again. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother hour discussion that irritates the hell out of me, but I'm, I'm sure uh, you have your opinions on that as well. But, uh, but yeah, no, I'd like to do this uh, another time with you. If, if you don't mind, that'd be great uh, because and I don't even care if we show everyone else in the world. I just, uh, I just enjoy talking to you and we probably yeah. haven't done enough. We, we have to do this every, uh, what, 30 years, whether we like it or not, I think. Yeah, no, I'll be here back. Well, I'll come back for sure. 30 years from now, I'm going to put that on my calendar right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Greg. I really enjoyed it. And um, let's not be strangers. Okay. You got it. Thank you. All right. Have a great trip. Safe, safe travels. Take care. You too. Bye-bye.